A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. I think that circles provide a vital catalyst to touch where it hurts, to hold our anger and our pain, and to build a container of change and build a community of resilience. And so in addition to that quote uh, that you share, I actually also quote you saying oh. in, in real change that you share um, when we respond to quote our own pain with more presence and compassion, the energy we have for responding to the pain of others increases dramatically, as does our sense of connection and care. Hello and welcome to the Meta Hour podcast with Sharon Salzberg. I'm Lily Cushman, I produce this podcast And today we're coming to you with episode 232 and the return, the second appearance of the wonderful Cecilia B. Loving. Cecilia is a thought leader in the belonging and inclusion spaces. She's the senior vice president of DEI for PBS. And she's someone who works in restorative justice, storytelling, inclusive leadership, racial inclusion, mindfulness. She's a really big fan of loving kindness and author of many books. She has a new book coming out, Connecting Through Circles, co-authored by Gina Liao. And much of this conversation is Cecilia sharing her vast expertise on the subject of circles, circle building, and the healing, the transformation all that can emerge from the building of circles. Her and Sharon also discuss belonging, the science that's behind social bonding, the role of forgiveness in our own transformation, and how we can move beyond us and them mentality. Cecilia also shares her approach to DEI work at PBS and closes this conversation with an incredible meditation, a circle meditation, to finish out the conversation. So we're thrilled to have Cecilia back to share more of her work with you, her new book, and to take a deep dive into circles. Before we get to today's episode, a couple of quick announcements. Sharon has a few virtual events coming up that I'd like to point you to. The first is a retreat that's being held by the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies on March 7th. And Sharon will be appearing virtually, though this is an in-person retreat. 
self-healing through mindfulness, insight, and loving-kindness. Sharon will be joining Dr. Joe Luizzo and Dr. Pilar Jennings. So that's a chance for a weekend retreat, and the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies is just down the street from IMS up in Barry, Massachusetts. The other event that I'd like to highlight today is just a day-long virtual immersion that Sharon is doing April 13th with the founders of the Holistic Life Foundation, Atman Smith, Ali Smith, and Andres Gonzalez. And this is hosted by Garrison Institute. The topic is love as the most powerful force in the universe. So you can head over to Sharon's fancy new website at SharonSalzberg.com to register for those events and see what other things she's got cooking. So let's get to today's episode, Cecilia B. Loving and Sharon Salzberg. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me back. It's it's great to uh, be in your company as always, Sharon. You mean so much to me and so many others. And so um, I am I'm just grateful to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much. How are you and where are you? I am doing terrific. Uh, I am in Northern Virginia today, which is about 10 minutes from Washington, D.C. in Arlington. So the last time you were a guest here was in 2022. So it's wonderful having you back. And I encourage our listeners to check out the first appearance, which is episode 192. Congratulations on your book. It's always a huge accomplishment. The title is Connecting Through Circles, Using Circles to Support Inclusion, Establish Belonging, and Build Trust, which you've co-written with Gina Liao. So tell me how this book came into being and what was the impetus? Thank you so much for lifting up our new book, Connecting with Circles. And my co-author, Gina Liao, is a colleague and a friend, and I really like to call her a millennial with an old soul. And so when Gina and I met, she was my intern at FDNY, uh, the fire department of New York City, and two of the directors who work with me when I was there as commissioner of diversity, equity, and inclusion had in- interviewed really a number of interns. And so Gina stood out to them as someone that I would like. And it turned out they knew me really well because I hired her on the spot and she later became DEI manager at FDNY and uh, eventually joined me when I left to become the director of DEI at PBS. And so one of the important practices that we brought with us from FDNY, uh, which really led to this book, is the use of indigenous circles, which are also known as restorative circles, a Native American tradition that we use to build community, 
to heal harm, to resolve conflict, and also to really educate uh, on some of the important principles of how we can be more inclusive and really establish a better sense of trust and belonging. Um, what I like to call co-creating a positive and holistic way to see value and honor one another. And so every time we share this tool with other people, whether it's at work or beyond, folks are curious and they want to learn more about it. And so uh, in the past, we had a virtual book, a multimedia online tool embedded with videos and other resources but near the end of 2023, I asked Gina if she wanted to co-author a book on circles. So we would have another vehicle to share the importance of this amazing tool. And, and gratefully, she agreed. And now we have Connecting Through Circles. Um, she is a terrific co-author. And we wrote the book a lot faster than uh, I anticipated, but that's, you know, the full context of how it came to be. It's so great. So there are three main sections in the book, circles of inclusion, circles of belonging, and circles of transformation. So let's start with inclusion or connection. You start the section with this quote, circles provide safe spaces releasing the fear of not knowing, tapping the wisdom of what we've known all along, finding connection. So for those who don't know what circles are, why don't you start by explaining them? Circles, Sharon, are really opportunities that we take to come together, generally in a physical circle, if we have that available to us, or a virtual circle online. And we listen to one another to really see and hear and appreciate our stories. And so what makes a circle different than a conversation or dialogue is that circles are governed by certain rules. There's always a talking piece. And you cannot speak unless you hold the talking piece. And a talking piece can be anything. It can be a stone. It can be a piece of jewelry. It can be a book. It can be a, a, a piece of clothing. It can be a child's toy. But it has to be something that's important to you. And it's really one aspect of one of the most important rule of circles. The talking piece is passed around to everyone in the circle so that everybody has an opportunity to share. And the circle keepers are participants. They open the circle and close the circle as well as share rules and make sure that they're followed. But they're also part of the circle. And so when we hold the talking piece in circle to share our truth, we are able to educate others about ourselves through our stories. And in circle, we often say, listen to know and share to be known. And so that 
helps establish this sense of, of trust and cohesiveness in this space together, whether it be a physical space or virtual space. Circles engage us to share our stories and to learn, most importantly, from the stories of others in this container that builds trust through this process really of sharing and confidence. And in the book, we write that in many respects, a circle is a meditation. It's a means through which we invite our whole selves. It's a time during which we are able to slow down and pay attention by listening deeply. And I just want to also add to this, you know, sort of long <laughs> definition is that when I first started doing circle, I thought that they were about talking, but I've learned that they are really about listening deeply. And when you lean into circles, what happens is that you begin to realize that your story is part of me and my story is really part of you and, and your courage and your healing and your compassion gives me courage and supports my journey. And so in the book, in Connecting Through Circles, we say our stories are really only the beginning of how we appreciate who we are. We only receive the true depth of wisdom from the gift of our stories when we share them with others. We come together in circle to give of ourselves as well as to receive the best of each other. And, and through this intimate share of our journey, we give each other the courage to dig deep and, and to step outside of our comfort zone and to invite everyone present to really share their best and their worst while growing and connecting in the process. So it sounds like one of the really powerful gifts of circles is being heard and being seen in genuine ways that we might not find elsewhere. Is that right? I think so. And um, one of the reasons why I really value circle is that I am also a lawyer. And so that means that I've served as a litigator, an arbitrator, a mediator in environments where stories, also known as truth telling, is really essential to, to learn the facts. And the facts are shaped from a lot of different perspectives, but circles are the only environment that I've ever been in where there is no posturing. And so there's something about the power of circles that several of my colleagues have said to me, it's almost magical. So you lean into them and you speak from the heart and you, you find this safe space to share your truth and to be vulnerable. And this is different than a conversation. There is really a purity of heart that is drawn out that I have not witnessed at any other gathering. 
there's this desire to tell the truth and to pour our truth into the hearts of others. And um, it has this way of disarming you. And so I have seen people at all different walks of life just cry, even in the first round of circles, and really because they needed uh, a space to release. Let's take a look at the belonging section of the book. Belonging is such a big part of the larger wellness conversation these days. I actually find myself trying to, uh, when I'm trying to define happiness, I say belonging because happiness can seem so superficial for some people, but belonging is, is much deeper. So here's a quote from the book. We belong to each other. We are here for each other. The connection that we have to each other and to our ancestors for generations is not merely tied to pain and trauma, but to the purpose and enlightenment that we share. Mm. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, when you mentioned belonging, it, it really reminded me of the fact that it's kind of interesting that I would write a book that focuses on it because it wasn't a word that I really liked in the past. And that's because so many people were using it without explaining what it means. And so I tend to use a different word when I describe belonging, a word that requires to me a little bit, perhaps more of a deeper dive. And that word is oneness. And so for me, oneness recognizes that we are all one, which means that despite our differences, we're made from the same cloth. We come from the same original tribe. We share the same DNA, according to the Human Genome Project. We belong to one another. And at some point, I like to believe that our shared ancestors sat in circle, imbued with this sense of belonging. Um, Gina calls circles the gift that keeps giving because deep in our DNA, we still carry the power and the peace that united us with an understanding of who we are and how we can contribute to the world around us. And so one of the other things that I lift up in the book is that um, it's almost in the same way that hands are sometimes held in circle. Um, in restorative or healing circles, hearts are really held. And by that, I mean, we create this atmosphere of, of truth telling and trust by centering on everything that just brings us to the moment, we often ask the question, what do you need to say to be present? And what happens is that every share is really important and, and pours into that healing bomb of truth that is cleansing because it's it's honored. And when I was when I was doing research for the book, one of the, the things that I found that was very important because I kept trying to figure out why circles are so powerful, why we always have such positive input around circles. So one of the things that I discover is that 
When circles open communication channels and resolve conflict and encourage trust and create this safe space, they are also cultivating a stronger sense of belonging. And therefore, they are really supporting a need that is hardwired into our biology. Uh, One of the authors that I was really studying is Owen Eastwood, who wrote a book called Belonging, the Ancient Code of Togetherness. And he shares that oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, all of these things that are part of our biology provide this collective magic when we feel this sense of belonging. And when we feel as though we belong, what happens is that stress hormones are in balance and anxiety and fear are lowered. And we also create this energy of trust and we communicate and we cooperate at a higher level. And so circles help provide these important moments of social bonding. So there's not only the social component, but there's also a biological bond. Thank you. And moving on to the final section of the book, Transformation, which involves several different elements, including forgiveness and working with shame. In this section, you mentioned that your ministry includes a theology of forgiveness which really caught my eye. Can you share what that is? Sure. Um, For me, the Bible is a huge part of my faith. Mm -hmm. I I went to a traditional seminary, um, even though I'm not traditional. I I did that uh, just to increase my awareness of what are some of the things that are important to those who are more traditional. And while... I do make an effort to make sure that I embrace and respect the power of love in all religions. Jesus Christ is still very important to me, a spiritual ancestor whose teachings are the head of my life. And the ancient text says in John 14, 20, anybody who belongs to uh, my church spirit move know that I, I probably cited Uh, Every time we meet in John 14, 20, Jesus said, I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. And so not only does that remind me that we are love and that spirit is is part of our DNA, but that the heart of love is Forgiveness. And one of the things that Jesus says is don't even come to the altar and pray unless you have forgiven. And so in connecting through circles, I talk about the ministry of the late Bishop Desmond Tutu, who writes a lot on forgiving. And he says that forgiveness is not a weakness. It really is a strength. It requires bravery to release people in in those situations that have harmed us. And it's so much easier to hold a grudge and to sit in that comfort space of resentment than to actually forgive someone, whether we decide to forgive or not. And so we as a people 
We'll always live with the consequences of our action and processing forgiveness we know is not quick. It doesn't require us to forget or deny or pretend that something didn't happen. Um, Forgiveness doesn't deny history nor refrain from seeking justice, uh, Bishop Tutu taught. But he says that it puts us on a path toward healing ourselves and our local communities and the global community at large. And so I am a firm believer of what he teaches when he says that forgiveness is never for the person or the situation we need to forgive, but that it is for us. And otherwise we bind to that person. I like to say we give away our power. We give them so much power over us that what happens is that energy is drained uh, by toxic emotions instead of the energy that we need to be more innovative and creative, to move forward and redirect our energies in a new way. And so one of the things that circles um, do is that they help us cultivate the power of forgiveness together. And some of the circles I've been in, for example, uh, for Hidden Water, where I have done a, a great deal of work in the past, led by Elizabeth Clemens. Uh, and it's for those uh, who have been harmed and even those who have harmed uh, children um, in, in as sexual abusers. And so uh, we talk about the path from healing to harm. And many don't want to forgive and, and they have the, the prerogative to do so. But as part of my theology, the power of forgiveness is very important in terms of uh, strengthening and supporting one another. I just want to take a minute and tell you about the time I met Bishop Tutu um, because he was such a model of so many things, not only certainly forgiveness and humility and uh, authenticity, but uh, I have a friend who was quite close to him and we're all in Seattle because he was doing an event with the Dalai Lama. And uh, I was in the hotel lobby talking to my friend and Bishop Tutu came over. And so she introduced us and we had a little chat and he was wearing, cause he wasn't wearing clerical garb at the moment. He was wearing like some sweatshirt that said something like go Seattle or, you know, <laughs> so all I could think of was, Oh, you know, the airline must have lost his luggage and, and he had to, you know, buy a shirt in the store, uh, which just happened to me. And, and later I said something to her, like, did he ever get his luggage back? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, he was wearing that sweatshirt and it looked like it came right out of an airport gift store. And she said, oh, we always dress us like that. You know, when he's not wearing clerical, clerical garb. So sort of my indelible impression of him is just, he's just himself, you know, was just himself. And, is very beautiful. Wow, that's a great story. Yeah, it was really fun. So another aspect of transformation you explore in the book is empathy. So here's a quote from the book. Empathy allows us to see ourselves clearly, to understand others accurately, and to communicate those perceptions with compassion. Empathy requires us to speak from the heart of our own experience. So do you think that empathy might be the secret sauce for transformation? 
I believe that empathy is, I would more describe it as a critical spice to the sauce. Mm -hmm. But I think that compassion is the most important ingredient. And um, in connecting through circles, uh, one of the things we share is that a minister um, once said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And so the compassion that we feel by being heard in in circles is fueled by a unique connection to all our relations and the stories that continue to live through us, that continue really to live through truth telling. And so I think that circles provide a vital catalyst to touch where it hurts, to hold our anger and our pain and to build a container of change and build a community of resilience. And so in addition to that quote uh, that you share, I actually also quote you saying uh-huh. in, in real change that you share um, when we respond to, quote, our own pain with more presence and compassion. The energy we have for responding to the pain of others increases dramatically, as does our sense of connection and care. And so um, I think that compassion is is really the answer. I think that love and care and loving kindness is really the answer. I'm also struck by how empathy can help us move out of an us versus them mentality or framework. And can you say something about that? Sure. I think that um, empathy is a first step and that compassion invites even greater awareness um, than just understanding or just relating to one another. And so just to go back to the, the model of circles, connecting through circles, when we participate in circles with compassion We cultivate connections and we build trust by sharing these stories that have defined us for so long and and, and at the same time go beyond empathy, really beyond um, all of the various ways that we try to understand and try to see through the lens of others, as well as beyond the the sort of mask that we wear and the code switching that we use. when we can appreciate who we are and begin to interact with others more genuinely and and build those sustaining relationships, uh, when we have compassion, when we bring that element, what happens also is that there's not only support in holding space and circle, but there's also support beyond circles. And so for me, particularly using circles in a work environment, that's part of the magic of circles. It's the goodwill. It's also the continued support and the commitment that we begin to feel for one another. And I think that stems more from compassion than 
than empathy. I've had many of my colleagues say, I get you now. I understand what you're doing. And you feel the strength and the support of others even after you've left the circles. And so um, I believe that the compassion that circles offer is one of the catalysts that really help co-create that positive and appreciative work environment that welcomes everyone and also builds and strengthens that belonging you were talking about, that community of belonging. It's it's quite a wonderful book and congratulations again. And I'm so glad that it's available for people to read. I want to shift topics a bit. I would love to hear about your DEI work, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion work at PBS, where you serve in an official capacity as the head of DEI. And I'd love to hear how you approach DEI as a whole and about the culture you're working to create at PBS. Well, Sharon, gratefully, PBS, are, and, and I think um, in its 20 year, 20th year uh, or so of being one of the most trusted media organizations, it already lives the mission of service and trust and commitment as a steward of storytelling. And so its ability to recognize the importance of all our stories is not something that I had to co-create, but it was momentum that I get to build with. And so our goal is to strengthen the importance of our core values, like living that mission, valuing the team, leading by example, and embracing possibilities. And, and that's really where I start in the DEI space. What are our core values? What's the common ground we have as an organization? Um, because of the support of Paula Kerger, our CEO, I'm really able to achieve a lot because the work of DEI leads, and this is something that Paula instills in everyone, it comes from the top and it's not the responsibility of one person, it's the responsibility of everyone. All of our colleagues uh, work closely with me, uh, our, our members of the senior management team, for example, like Sylvia Bug and Sarah DeWitt, who are over programming and Susie Elkins, who oversees station services and Rhonda Holt, our chief of technology and her team, who work very closely with us, our communications uh, unit, our facilities, creative operations, marketing, diversity advocates, our DEI council our employee resource groups, everybody works together in order to achieve our goals in co-creating a positive and holistic work environment and a positive and holistic system of all of our member stations. And, you know, I one of the things that was really a surprise to me um, is a survey that we did at the end of 2023, near the end, of the year, we discovered that our business units were not merely responsible for one or two or just three even DI initiatives, but that every single business unit within the organization worked on an average of 14 different initiatives where they were working closely with us, 
working closely with us in order to achieve DEI goals. And so, uh, for example, I'm proud to say that uh, all of our business units have been involved in circles. We have trained nearly 50 circle keepers, and we really are on the trajectory, I believe, of being a restorative work environment, which means we are trained in and we know how to access the use of circles as an important resource. For all of those reasons that I mentioned before, like really creating a sense of belonging and trust and communication, the feedback that we receive for circles and how it supports our work is phenomenal. I use circles for individual coaching as as well and have had um, an opportunity to, to also work with my colleagues, Gina, who is our, our the co-author of the book, and also Tiffany Kenny, who is a really important member of our team, as well as Courtney Lewis-Allen and other key stakeholders within and outside of, of PBS, like our local stations. And one of the things we work together to curate is a DEI toolkit. Uh, a 14-volume multimedia uh, tool that allows not only us to help uh, bring about more belonging and inclusion within PBS, but also outside of the organization. Uh, We have created the Think Tank, DEI Spotlights, um, and a resource that I call All Our Stories, which covers our programming in a variety of categories that support a holistic approach to telling our stories. And so um, really grateful to be able to roll that out as well. And so I wanted to lift up also, as I'm, I'm thinking about members of the DEI team, Tiffany, who is a valuable member Uh, also has an opportunity to share how to do circles with children. Um, Nander uh, Kerr also shares um, her perspective around doing circles around um, cultural uh, contributions. Uh, And Yomi Went is someone else who works with us. And so we have combined the resources uh, from a number of people that we've been working with in order to do circle. And so that just gives you a sense of how holistic our environment is, how we work well together to accomplish our goals. And those goals aren't directed toward one particular group. But the thing about inclusion, the the what I call the I, is that it applies to everyone and it starts within, but it doesn't pick and choose. It embraces everyone. I love that you're mentioning all these people's names. I often say that when I go into an organization or a company to teach, my favorite question is, who else has to be doing their job well for you to be able to do your job well? Because in fact, we live in an interconnected universe. It's it's really uh, never just us. And if you don't appreciate that, and occasionally I've had people who did not appreciate the question, they say, "Well, do you commute to work? You know, do you ever think about that train engineer or the car mm-hmm. mechanic, or you know?" And if you don't commute, then you're perhaps dependent on technology or or somebody supplying 
material, you know, for your craft or whatever it is. So uh, it, life is bigger than we normally imagine it to be. And uh, it's wonderful to like appreciate and honor those people. So I want to um, go a little further into DEI. I know my experience here at the Insight Meditation Society has been that um, the efforts that we've made uh, to include, to listen, to uh, to reach out, to um, be conscious of things that perhaps we were unconscious of previously have always been tied uh, completely to what are the the standards of excellence, you know, that we uh, ask of ourselves and in being able to teach and guide people in meditation and so on. And um, I think it can be confusing uh, to many people, you know, perhaps not to understand that. And, and so I wonder if you could just say something about that. Sure. Um, I think that one of the things that it also um, sort of lifts up uh, are our implicit biases and perhaps sometimes more conscious than, than unconscious. And there's always that, you know, with many, the discussion around uh, whether or not being more inclusive and bringing in everyone somehow lowers our standards. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that that is, I know that that is a ploy to try to avoid being inclusive and, and to not deal with uh, someone's own biases. And it it suggests really that opportunities are somehow based on merit when we know that opportunities largely result from privilege. And mm -hmm. um, it also implies that people who contribute to a diverse work environment, which in this country is translated as people of color or people who are disabled or people who um, have a different sexual orientation than, than some may not be as skilled or talented mm -hmm. as gifted, but we, we are like everybody else. And so when you asked me the question, it, it brought immediately to, to mind the, the great poet uh, Phyllis Wheatley. And in, in the 1700s, her, her poetry was met with skepticism because so many didn't want to believe that an enslaved African was actually talented enough to write poetry, mm -hmm. really to justify their own racism. And so there was this special committee convened to really test the legitimacy of her authorship. And gratefully, the committee was eventually satisfied that she was the, the author of her poems. But this denial of gifts and talents is the same kind of attempt to really justify prejudice and racism. And so, um, you know, I, I also think of August Wilson, uh, who's such an amazing playwright who made, I believe, the greatest contribution to American theater. Mm -hmm. He dropped out of school because a teacher accused him of plagiarizing a paper, but he educated himself and then went on to win Tonys and other awards. Um, you know, it, it's not only are we brilliant and gifted when we have the challenge of being in the quote unquote minority uh, or being marginalized or otherwise disparaged, uh, 
Um, but we also become incredibly resourceful because we've had to make do without resources. And therefore, we are even more, I think, creative and innovative and also oftentimes, if not always, have to tune into that that higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And then uh, this is somewhat off that topic, but it's very connected, I think, to PBS. In my mind, you know, when we first met, you were working uh, with the fire department in New York and we talked about trauma and we talked about vicarious trauma. And uh, one of my uh, interests, you know, is journalists. For when I was younger, actually, I thought I was going to go to journalism school. It didn't happen. But uh, it's always been kind of a passion of mine. And I think about the traumatic experience and the vicarious trauma of many journalists who are witnessing so much. And I'm just wondering about your experience of that. Well, um, I'm not, you know, uh, an expert on, on trauma, but Mm -hmm. I really believe that not only those, uh, who are on the front line of Mm -hmm. dealing with, uh, so many different issues and so much suffering in the world Mm -hmm. are, um, dealing with trauma. But I think that um, we all are. And it's something that really circles allow us to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. And that trauma we carry in our our bones, we carry it in our body due to our experiences, the experiences of our ancestors, our struggles, our pain, and and how we're treated also. And, you know, one of the other things that has happened in this country, if not the entire planet, is that we have all experienced a great deal of loss over the last Mm -hmm. four years. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons we we really do need to take the time to remove our guard, to come together, to talk about and process what's important to us so that we can begin this really important process of healing ourselves, our loved ones, our colleagues, and our community and our climate. Otherwise, what happens that tr- is that trauma continues to live on through our bones. And that's why mindfulness practices like loving kindness are, are really so important. And, and we actually uh, also incorporate those practices in restorative circles. Let's talk about loving kindness meditation, our favorite topic. Uh, you know, we share a great respect for the practice as it's changed both of our lives in such positive ways. And I'm wondering if you might consider loving kindness is a kind of universal method of meditation. Most definitely. And I consider you the guru of loving kindness. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I was really grateful to visit Kapralu um, in 23 mm-hmm. with, uh, with my team, uh, the DEI team at PBS. And uh, we experienced a wonderful loving kindness retreat, which was led by Stephen Cope mm-hmm. and, and Missy Brown, one that mm-hmm. I understand you used to lead That's as right. well. Yeah. And that allowed us to learn and to practice together tools that we could share with, with PBS. And we have a Mindful Monday practice 
Um, and we're grateful for your contributions to it. And so um, to me, the ancient texts of many, if not all traditions, acknowledge the importance of loving kindness. And the Bible says it this way. It says God is love. And so um, love is not merely something that we need to get. It's also something that we have to give. And we, I believe, are the very love that we seek. And, and for me, what happens is that loving kindness practices really pour that love throughout all creation and beyond universes and galaxies that we cannot even begin to imagine. Wow, thank you. Before we finish, I would, I would love for you to lead us in a practice to bring our conversation to a close. Sure, I'd love to do so. And so it's available to you. You can close your eyes. And let's just center together on the breath. Just connect with that wonderful energy that we all share. And since we're talking about circles today, I I just like to imagine that we are in a giant circle together, really connected by the pure synergy of simply being. of having air to breathe and space to take up. And we have come to this circle by being in the moment. part of this amazing realm of connection. Circle is everywhere that we are. Breathing in and out a breath of love and light and peace. We can pause with purpose. And as we do, let us just breathe in this connection, holding space for every soul that ever was and ever will be. And let's breathe in that connection, that unity with everyone and everything in a space 
a space that we have longed for for so long. An opening in the heart of what some call God or Buddha or Krishna or Ra. What some embody and know and realize as love. And that is simply where we are. Filled with the power to be, to just simply be one with the moment. And we hold to our hearts, our talking pieces. We hold these talking pieces in our minds, in our moments, wherever and however they draw us to this occasion to to love ourselves like no other, to love ourselves, mind, body, and soul, and to realize that in this synergy of grace, of absolute good, we are whole. And we can breathe into this wholeness by releasing the burdens that we have carried for so long and just allow this grace of ease, of peace, of health and happiness to hold us. And in this wonderful circle of unity that we are experiencing, however it shows up for us, this oneness, this enlightenment of real change, we can let go of whatever we thought we needed so that we can honor those who are here, those who are present, who we love in this moment and beyond, and just send them that love through timeless circles, circles held by our ancestors. Circles filled with the love of being whoever they are. The unfoldment of their truth and the telling of their stories with the grace of ease and peace, of health and happiness that holds our loved ones and liberates them to hold others until we are all being held in circle as one. The oneness that we share is beyond the greater things that we're here to do and the conflict that we might feel and the, the battles that we perhaps have fought. 
the indignities that we suffer, the lives that we lost, still holding the space of the heart of love that is our DNA beyond what once was, even in the conflict, we can send the grace of ease and peace of health and happiness into our expanding circle and feel the joy that reverberates within and throughout the circle. And then we can, we can hush. Simply being silent in our oneness as we send to the universe and the galaxies beyond the creators of circle and trust all of the grace, all of the ease and the peace and the health and the happiness moving about us, lifting us up, expanding throughout circle. <sighs> Giving way to others, this sense of connection and peace and love until that instant that we realize all that we have given finds its way returning back to us. And so it is. So let it be. And whenever you're ready, you can just slowly return to the here and the, and the now beyond our shared circle. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the beautiful, beautiful meditation. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's always such a pleasure to get together even virtually, and I appreciate your work and your perspective so much. Thank you for having me. Hey folks, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Cecilia's work, you can head over to her Amazon author page for Cecilia B. Loving. And to find out all things Sharon, other podcast episodes, or to check out the first interview with Cecilia, which is episode 192 of the Meta Hour, you can head over to SharonSalzberg.com. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. And may you live with ease.